and welcome to Imagine Me and Utena, a revolutionary girl Utena podcast. I'm your host, I'm Panda, and I'm here with my co-host Alice. How are you, Alice? I'm doing pretty good, actually. That is excellent to hear. Uh, this is... I, it, it feels a little disingenuous to call this uh, an episode of Imagine Me and Utena because we're not really talking about Utena, except, uh, as we well know, all roads in meta lead to Utena. So uh, we are doing, I guess this is going to be episode one of another mini series called Ikuhara Book Club, where we check out some of the works that have influenced specifically Utena, but other like Ikuhara things. I don't know how many of these we're going to do, but this is the first episode of that. And we are talking about Damien by Herman Hess. And uh, my one stipulation for doing this episode, this was a, a hotly requested episode by our one of our guests, uh, who has been begging me to do this episode for probably like a year. I said that I if I would do this episode, but I would not fucking read it. And I've succeeded in that. And uh, my beautiful co-hosts and our lovely guests are going to tell me what the fuck this book is. Hi, guys. Uh, we are here with Sen and Kita from the uh, Empty Movement Forum. Hi, guys. Hi. Hello. Hello. Anyway, uh, begging is strong phrasing, don't you think, Panda? <laughs> And I mean, you've been you've been asking for a while. Like, can we do the Damien episode? Can we do the Damien episode? And I said, finally, yes. Did you see me kneel, though? I don't think so. Mm, I mean, but that doesn't mean you didn't. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> anyway, since it's Kita's first time on the podcast, we have some preliminary questions. Kita, why don't you tell us about your history with the Revolutionary Girl Utena? Uh, oh no. Um, I watched it, I want to say like 10 years ago. It might be that long now. Oh no, it's longer than 10 years ago. Um, at when I was briefly at college. And then, I don't know, it just sort of was one of those things that stuck around in my life. Uh, who would you say is your favorite character? Oh, uh, Garbage Lettuce Man. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you're sh- I thought it was Toga. It's Sayoji. Why do you think my name is green? Right, alright. <laughs> Colors mean things. And green means that she loves the trash man. Yes, well, I mean, they're all trash men, but I love that specific trash man. That's true. Uh, we So, guys, uh, so what's Damien? Who wants to, who wants to tell me what this is? I can, because, oh. I suppose I will, but then you guys can probably fill in the gaps as we go. I was uh, going to go with an extremely sarcastic answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> so some German guy learned about Eastern Asian philosophy, took like the equivalent of one class 100 level, and then <laughs> dropped a bunch of acid before acid was invented. And clearly that is why that bo- this book was written. Uh, interesting that's, that's fairly accurate um, <laughs> a more um a more a literal description would be uh basically demon is about uh it's 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 sort of like a fictional autobiography about this okay com- yeah yeah it, it, that's basically what it is and it's a it's a coming of age story with like heavy surrealism and i think a bit of psychology 
but mostly surrealism and it's about the coming of age of a boy in like a very christian household in germany coming to grips with his concept of self is um the whole work is very christian right right and it's very like light versus dark very it's i think it is heavily influenced by uh the gnostic tradition but unfortunately i can't tell you more about that (laughs) it's interesting that both of you kind of pin this as being very christian because i was actually going to say the opposite but i think that you've hit the nail on the head right there we'll come back to this obviously but there's a it's specifically if it's a if it's christian it's specifically a gnostic kind yeah it like it's it's a philosopher very grounded in a Christian background, but which deviates very significantly from the sort of orthodox Christianity of any kind. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of those atheists on the internet who are, who are like extremely anti-Christian, but you can tell they need to be Christian. The Christian atheists. And you're yeah. like, <laughs> you, you are specifically atheists from Christianity. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm curious, Alice, why do you think it's not very Christian? More than it's a, a Christian through the lens of a very Gnostic understanding of what that is. So Gnosticism is not just a Christian thing. Um, it, it's a it's a much broader thing than that. And Hess's like everything Christian in Herman Hess, not just this but other stuff, is it's weird and idiosyncratic. But the closest I can get to it is is that he is kind of a Gnostic. He thinks of things in terms of a neb- of nebulous spirit. He thinks of things in terms of the world being somewhat illusory and hiding a sort of gnosis, a secret truth underneath it. You know, Damien is kind of... Uh, Damien's a lot... Like, the character Damien is a lot of things, and one of them is kind of... He and his mother are sort of the gnosis. Like, they fit very comfortably into Gnostic Christian depictions of the process of enlightenment and gaining the secret knowledge. Like, mm-hmm. Because, I, you know, that is to say, Damien is not just a name, it's also a thing. It's very close to, um, I'm always, I'm going to pronounce this, I believe it's pronounced Damon, D-A-E-M-O-N. Yeah, I think that's right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what the Golden Compass would lead me to believe. Yeah, and like, that kind of figure in Gnostic tradition traditions is sort of the guiding principle, the figure which guides you into the true, uh, the secret. Like if you, you, like with the Matrix, you know, the gnosis of the Matrix is that, you know, knowing that the Matrix is a thing. That's the secret truth underneath the world. And Gnostic Christians saw the secret truth being the, like, stuff behind the illusory mythos of the incarnation and stuff like that. All that was just clues. Sounds a little conspiracy theory. It is. It, yeah. it's, it's like a really harmless, mystical conspiracy theory. <laughs> it gets a little Anne Randy at times, too. Like, we are the enlightened okay. ones and everyone else is sheeple. It can oh, be. I love that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, <laughs> and you, you've also reminded me, us. it has a very, like, touristy way of exploring, like, re- religion. Do you know what I mean? Like, do you know? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Her- Herman Hess is also like a very, very it's, into Hinduism and Indian philosophy. It's the ugly side of Unitarians. It's funny that you said tourist because in um, doing some research for this, I looked up out of curiosity if what actual like interactions he had had with Eastern traditions, and discovered that not long after World War One, Herman Hess went to India. Mm-hmm. 
India, Sri Lanka, and in what was at the at that time French Indochina. Um, he hated it. Uh, interesting. Uh, he loved he he loved the culture. Um, he loved like a lot of things about it, but the experience was awful for him because he was very sick the whole time. Ah, oh, okay. Um, and so he was miserable for like a month or three, and then comes back. But that the but the things that he saw, like despite the fact that he was mega depressed the whole time. Okay, we got interrupted there, but uh, we are back. So, in answer to a question uh, off the air, Damien was published in nineteen nineteen. The prologue was added in nineteen sixty. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. The prologue is the one. Where it's saying, which is that? Is that um, is that the Ford by yeah, the Ford. who was it? Thomas Mann. Yeah, who? Yeah, who just spent like fifteen pages talking about how amazing Herman Hess is. <laughs> and yeah, he would because Herman Hess is the one that smuggled him out of Germany to avoid getting killed by the Nazis. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> Bertolt Brecht, too, um, who was definitely headed for um, execution because he was a dirty red. And um, apparently, from what I've read, he, um, Herman Hess snuck both of them out with his own money. Dope. That makes Herman sense. Hess is a leftist, I think, maybe. <laughs> nah, he's more of a Herman aggressively to, detached. He wanted to save the intelligentsia, it sounds like. Which is um, kind of I don't know, maybe I, libertarian. He was like, <laughs> from what I gather, like Herman Hess was, like you know, I talked about the whole Nazism thing. Herman Hess was of the opinion that like a lot of the world around him was smoke and mirrors behind a deeper truth, and so he did his his greatest insult to the Nazism that lived in Germany when he was alive was to disdainfully do his best to pretend it didn't exist. Which sounds good on paper, but was a little silly. Um, though his, though everyone knew that he didn't like it because his wife, during the entirety of the Nazi Party's existence, was a Jewish woman. So there you go. His opinions were known. <laughs> so basically, he was the equivalent of like an ostrich that, like, when, when it sees danger, it. it, 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 it yeah, kinda. Oh god. Kinda, but like. Kind of like, this is my protest. I'm going to pretend you don't exist, but, like, how effective is that? It sounds a lot more noble on paper. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he reminds me of Jill Stein, not gonna lie. Like, the whole thing. <laughs> oh, shit. A little bit. <laughs> my crystals are vibrating right now. I see the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Dumping on white cis men and, and their pretentious bullshit is so fucking funny. But neither of you, well, I should say all three of you, none of you are familiar with Augustine's Confessions. Uh, no, not in any like depth. So one, I feel like everyone should read it because Augustine's Confessions is the kind of the basis for most of the autobiographies written in the West. Um, Interesting. Before that point. We get sort of autobiographical material, but the way that we write autobiographies is in a large part shaped by the fact that St. Augustine of Hippo's Confessions 
were the blockbuster blockbuster sale of just, I'm sorry, they were like, it's hard to under, it's hard to communicate just how big that book was. Okay. Um, if he had been doing it for money, he would have been rich as Croesus. That's okay. how big it was. But he wasn't. Um, and it's the confession starts when he is like the first memories he has on Earth to the present day for him. When he is like, you know, about 40 something. And it's the structure of Damien is very similar to this, not only just because it's an autobiography, but because he starts as a child. And you remember what happens in the beginning of the book? The one of the first things he actually does. Uh, not a question. He lies about like stealing some shit. Yep. That that whole yeah that first the first thing that well, happens like the, the first, first that's the first thing that like it's the happens? first like, big thing. I'm not yeah. There's like he he talks a little bit beforehand, but like one of the first big incidents. Yeah. One of the first, one of the first big incidents of the confessions is actually Augustine being really hard on himself as a child because as a kid he and his pals broke into somebody's backyard and stole their peaches from their peach tree. <laughs> yep. Which okay. Uses, they stole the peaches and then they didn't even finish eating them. And oh, it's a travesty. Now we'll say in his defense. It doesn't work as well today because we could just go to the store and get peaches. But back then, where he was living, that tree was probably responsible for helping to feed a family. No, I get that. Yeah, so like it doesn't work quite as well now, but he obsesses about it. And the way that Damien starts like with this, every life was this beautiful, sort of like everything was pure and innocent, and then the, the forbidden original sin. <laughs> I yeah. it was just proven and it ruined my life it's it's ridiculously how like obviously Garden of Eden that section is yeah I'm not gonna lie like, that, it's, it's almost it's, comical yeah and I'm not gonna lie it's interesting that they that they pose pose the male protagonist as Eve in, in that regard you know what I mean yes so there's a bit of genderqueer there maybe to me it feels more like he is the whole world so like every story he hears he is every character so he's Adam and Eve right but I'm just I have just like yaoi lands right now I'm just thinking I, yaoi yes I can tell <laughs> uh, dear viewers um, we've got so we on Zencaster we've got all our handles everyone's got an appropriate handle my my handle is yaoi boy 6969 so <laughs> It's it's beautiful, but like I I do want to talk about how uh, there's a bit of like queerness to this narrative almost. Oh yeah, yeah. Big, queerness and something big. that inspired Ikahara. Say it ain't so. Although he does <laughs> uh, apparently maintain that he's never fucking read it. <laughs> oh, did you, did you guys remember like when Ikahara was like to this to his coworker, "Hey, you should read Demian," and then yeah. the coworker came back and then was like, yeah, this is a good book. And Igahara was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. What a, what a ridiculous man. Although that kind of seems like something I would do. I have a habit, ha sort of a habit of making offhand comments that, like, other people remember really clearly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? I said a thing? 
<laughs> oh yeah, like you can ask me what I said on this podcast like five minutes ago, and I have no fucking clue. So, do we want to go on more about Demon itself, or do we want to talk about how Demon relates to Utena? We could go either way. It's y'all's discussion, so doesn't matter to me. One thing that I found really interesting about the whole thing is that it has this almost postmodern, like, meta-ness to it. That, if I remember correctly, it was published- it wasn't published under Hess's name initially, it was published under the name of Emile Sinclair. Yep, and they found it out later, and he was unhappy about it. Super duper does not exist. And so, and then it has this whole like introduction about like this story is different because it's a real person's life and it's like not though. So, <laughs> the whole book is sort of presents itself very straightforwardly and earnestly, but there's this like subtext that like the whole thing is a lie. I mean, obviously, though, right? Because, because, because... <laughs> well, okay, so how, how, the, okay, I, this is a spoiler, but how, how is this like a, an actual autobiography if the character is implied to die at the end of the book? <laughs> it's, it's really unclear whether he lives or dies. I mean, look, like, you know, Interview with a Vampire did it. It's basically just a thing, though. I'm joking. The end of, the, of Interview with a Vampire and um, suggests that the interviewer gets killed. Almost killed. And but does it, yeah. Right. But does, like, he's, that he may or may not die and become a vampire, it's unclear. Yeah. Also, Interview with a Vampire is good. I just have to say that here on the air. I wrote a lot about it in college. but That surprises me absolutely none. <laughs> we should do an episode that compares and write to but resist the urge to talk about that book okay it's funny that you mentioned that postmodern because you know i I was actually thinking of soren kierkegaard who was literally not i think was actually might have been born around the time herman hess like died around the time herman hess was born (laughs) spooky oh yeah you would think that was great oh yeah he he died a a couple decades before herman hess was born in 1877 because like Kierkegaard was is kind of like sort of the intellectual one of one of the intellectual forefathers of existentialism and then later kind of postmodernism, and his favorite thing to do was write almost all of his books under different names because those people those books are being written by a quote unquote character and so they're not him they're the character the person writing the book the character writing this book is part of the book. And that's kind of how it is with Damien. Like, if you were to pretend that it was actually a, a guy named Emil Sinclair writing it, he, he is a character, and him being a character is part of the understanding of the book. That's really interesting. It's also been embarrassing, but interesting. Yeah. It is a little like, it's, it's sort of interesting that you identify it as a character, because I'm like, is this even a story with characters, or is it something else entirely? Could be a weed because dream. it it undercuts itself so ser- like so much. Do you look at this the way you look at a story, or do you look at it as you look at a parable? Well, now 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 I have another thought. You said a story without characters, or is it a story with only one character? 
Emil yeah, is a character. That's another way of yeah, looking Emil at Emil is a character, but everyone around him seems to exist solely to, to serve the narrative of, of his yeah. journey. Which is, that kind of reminds me, just in the way that you've described it, of uh, American Psycho. Like, everyone sort of only exists as, like, an extension of the main character's thoughts about them. I mean, yeah, like, I mean, I, I can think of a couple things that do this, and they all have this thing in common that, like, they're way easier to understand if you read the entire thing as an extended metaphor. Like, no one has people like this. The interesting <laughs> thing is then... Damien goes and tell like the story goes and tells us how to read stories. <laughs> Where yeah. Max Damien, the person, shows up in the middle of Damien the story and is like, Stow about those stories, yo. <laughs> <laughs> you should pay attention to them, but not like that. Um, do you, do you guys mind if I we just um because I'm I'm feeling for what the re- what the viewer is thinking, and then and I think the viewer doesn't have like a, a good grasp of how Demon plays out. Do we yeah, you want to go through the plot? Yeah, go through like plot, go through the plot basically. Yeah, it's it's broken into really clear sections, and each section has a theme, and the theme is the title of the section. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just I'm just I'm pretty much just gonna paraphrase Spark Notes here. So. Uh, yeah. Emil is ten years old. He lies about stealing apples, and he gets bullied by Franz Kroma, which is who is eleven years old. Uh, he doesn't that's have the pe- second section. Yeah, that's that's the first episode, isn't it? It's the first episode, but there's a whole section before that where he's just like, "My world is made of two worlds," and that's pretty much it. Right. Okay. Thanks. He was uh, a tiny baby. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Thank His you. I would have forgotten if it hadn't been. But um, we've got. Yeah, okay, he's being blackmailed by France, uh, and he's he's trying to steal money from his like parents' piggy bank. That doesn't go well. So he's he's in this kind of like it's he's in trouble because he lied about stealing the apples. Mm-hmm. Um, he did not steal the apples. He said he stole the apples. Yeah. And then the guy Cromer was like, "Well, if I turn you in, I could get money for this. So you owe me the money I could get for it mm-hmm. because you're rich and I'm not." Mm-hmm. And Demian, I think, c- comes in and, and is like, "Here, I'll help you out," and like, basically, get gets Chroma to fuck off. <laughs> and we never figure out how. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the mystery. And like, mm-hmm. this is when he starts with the um the like whole Cain and the Bell kind of. This is my interpretation of Cain and Bell. I don't remember the yeah. interpretation. Can someone can someone pick it up for me? Or oh gosh, what was it? Uh, I have. Something something Kane wasn't in the 34. wrong. Something something Abel was an idiot. I don't know. Um no, well it the Abel wasn't okay. So his interpretation of Kane and Abel was that it the story was made up by people who met Kane after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um and recognized this mark or decided that they saw this mark upon him because he was like so awesome. <laughs> Okay. And so then, but they're like, he's so awesome that we're jealous, so he must have been cursed by God, but, like, we're not allowed to touch him because God said so. And then, so Sinclair is like, so he didn't really kill anybody, right? And Damien's like, no, he totally killed somebody. 
and like that's it. <laughs> it's very strange. Yeah, I remember it being like really weird, and I could. It's like I remember reading that because like, it's like, what's the point of this? Is this just a shit post? <laughs> you, is, is Damien just like getting you to pay attention so he can just like like gotcha you at the end of how dumb you are for listening to him? Murder no. is okay, says Damien. <laughs> Damien is super down with murder. Murder's okay if you're an Uber bitch. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. Um, like one of his the first thing he says to Sinclair about Cromer is like, "Hey, you should kill that dude." <laughs> he, he straight up says, like, hey, you should kill that guy. And Sinclair is. Somebody that makes Sinclair the Uber bitch one way or another. Yeah, like, I, I think D means just this really, really wacky, manic pixie dream boy in middle, I think. <laughs> Consistently. I think. And, but you, you make a really good point about how, like, all the characters are sort of like manic pixie dream dream boys to Emil. <laughs> So I, at the at the time, I thought it was kind of like against against women because all the women aren't really characters. But then, except I, when, for Mother Eve, but only in the second half. Oh, we'll I, get there. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, I I don't. But uh, moving on. Uh, blah 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 blah. Uh, they have after a number of years of just not really talking to each other, they 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 return for another class. Uh, they have high school shenanigans. So Demian sitting next to Sinclair. Oh yeah. Is that even high school? It's confirmation. Okay, uh, middle school? I, I think it's close to middle school, mm-hmm. I want to say. And and Demon has this, like, supernatural ability to, like, affect how people act and get them to, get them to do what they want them to do. So basically, Demon is being a Yasha, but... <laughs> <laughs> <I'm kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> but um, this is when uh, Emil has, like... This religious and he explains battle. it to him to Emil with this like hilarious story about moths, moths oh. fucking. <laughs> what the heck? I don't remember that at all. Oh boy, it happens. Oh dear. He's like, so there's these moths, right? And so they want to reproduce. So like, they want that so much that even if there's like only one moth. Or two moths in the city, they'll find each other. I think it's actually talking about um, sex imbalance between the moths. That there's like a bunch of male moths and one female moth, and they'll like they'll find the moth because that's what they're supposed to do. Mm, and I, I think that's when the, the sexuality starts oozing in this book. Not that Sinclair ever has sex. <laughs> <laughs> he fucking doesn't. <laughs> He transcends just vulgarity as actual physical sex for the <laughs> beautiful enlightenment of having a bizarre connection with an older woman he meets twice. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> with an imagined, like, ideal woman who looks like his mom. <laughs> there's, this, there's this video essay about Metal Gear Solid 4 by Stake Bentley, and the whole time he has, like, a stress meter in the top left, and mine is creeping towards 100 when we talk about her. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Uh, the whole thing with Mother Eve is just so weird. It's it's bizarre. Uh, so, ba- moving on though, but uh, basically Max and, I mean, Max and uh, Emil, like, they're spending time. Um, Emil is kind of like having this inner battle of really, really, um, really being attached to the light side of the, fa- of the family. The whole, like, 
you you know what I mean, like the the family values. The, it, he what, has what's that light. Of... It goes back to that light and dark world. And yes, light. Oh, who is it? The whole like it's Lacan, isn't it? Who is about the name of the father? And the world of the light is very much that. It is what is proper and respectable. And it's tied to the church and his parents. Who, that's fucking weird. Because he's like, everybody has to go through it. But apparently my parents are wholly belonging to the world of the light. Which is, again, the world is defined through Sinclair. It's, it's, it's like the three Ks. So I, I don't know how to say it. it's like children, kitchen, church. It's that whole fucking thing. Oh, the whole like it's it, it's never said, never said. But I get this kind of like racial subtext of like Aryan family, white people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's there's oh boy, <laughs> the nuclear Yikes. family making the babies. But mm-hmm. and he, he's also tempted by this darkness of like ah like. The, the whole like what 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 Cromer represented, I think. Uh, the whole like it's it's not just Cromer. Like Cromer is an agent of this darker world, but it's not just him. Mm-hmm. A a minion of darkness, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you, it's fucking hilarious. Clemson of book. the Shadow Realm. Right after you have watched a playthrough of Kingdom Hearts three. <laughs> <laughs> Oh god! Oh god! <laughs> we, I I definitely want to explore that again with you, but I don't want to. Get... <laughs> if you if you if you just look at Pro CD's video on Kingdom Hearts three, that's exactly our feeling. Oh, no. the fucking Mike Wazowski. That's all I remember. It's like most of my dark, brain. Light heart. Oh, it's just that 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 fucking that fucking name is just overwritten. That's all I, I have to say about that. I, I'm not even gonna start. Not gonna start. Don't. We can't get started on Kingdom Hearts because then no. I'll start contributing to the conversation yep. and we'll never leave. Okay, so moving on from the <laughs> moths fucking. <laughs> Sinclair goes through confirmation and just like goes to college. Which is horrible um, in general. Yep. Uh, is it boarding school, is it? Or. It's college. Like, he goes off to college. It says boarding school in the Spark notes, so I'm, I'm a bit like... I mean, he lives there, so I guess he is yeah. boarding there, but... It is technically oh. boarding school, but it's not yeah, like... like it's, it's, like, it's, it's like pre-World War I England, in- English education, so it's fucking weird. There's like three different versions of college. Like, yeah. I'm not even doing yeah. a bit that's just like true. Right, because I'm actually really confused because I'm I'm Australian, obviously, but like college here just means accommodation. You know what I mean? Whereas boarding school is just school, and university is just uni- university. So like, okay, I, I'm not a hundred percent on this, but back in the day, like there were a, going to quote unquote a university or higher education beyond what we would in America call high school could look like several different things. You could do a kind of a preparatory thing that was kind of somewhere in between high school, college, and then go on to something else. You could go straight to a university and enroll in lectures at a college within that university. Like, it, it was kind of a chaotic mess. This kind of reads as a university to me. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure which of those things it is, because it could be a couple different ones, mm-hmm. and... 
honestly, Damien doesn't really give a shit. It just <laughs> it just wants to get to the part where it like where he makes goo goo eyes and definitely not Koaru. <laughs> <laughs> and also has really terrible analogies about Cain and Abel. I'm sorry, the analogy like it just sucks. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> He's trying really hard though. Damon is just trolling him. It's right. fucking like no, I just like it's not a story that Jedi would have told you, and then he just like fucking doesn't have a point to it. <laughs> it's it's baby Aki is what it reads to me. He probably does. He comes off as that way, like somewhere between that and Kawaru. Akio is like someone who figures out how to rip off Damien for his own ends and for his own benefit. Um, okay, so anyway, he's at university, college, something, higher education, which he does not give a shit about. And he just spends a lot of time getting drunk. With like a you know, bunch of college yeah. experience. Basically. I mean, if, if you if you aren't, like, making your own version of, like, your own, like, signature drink in college, did you even go? Yes, <laughs> and that's why you thought it was university, because they, they started drinking. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? <laughs> I don't know, I'm just like, you're probably right, actually. So anyway, he's, like, a drunk for a chapter. <laughs> and... Does he even mention that he went back and saw Damien in that chapter, or he, does he do it later? Because he does go back during that period, but he, like, puts off saying anything about it. Yeah, like, he goes back, but he does He does take him a while to actually get to the... Oh, yeah, and by the way, I yeah. saw him with capital H. I, I feel like he doesn't even mention it during... The, no, he, I don't like, think he does. Sequent- sequentially, I think it's, like, after the whole thing. He's like, oh yeah, by the way. This is like, okay. Okay, so he goes He goes to college, and eventually he goes back home for a little Wait, bit. No, there's more in- There's more important things that happen at college. There's so many important things that happen in college. <laughs> so, first up, he paints a magic painting. <laughs> okay. Oh my god, I have to talk about this. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Oh okay. Boy, okay. Okay. Keep going. Keep going, and I'll intervene later. Uh, he paints a magic painting. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is probably the trippiest part because he gets super into like dreams, and he's like, "I dreamed it," and then like, I painted it, and then like, I I nailed it to like some cross beam in my room, and just like stared at it for like <laughs> two days. Definitely not jacking it. <laughs> <laughs> Boy. <laughs> it's actually this painting of a girl, and, he, and this girl. It he starts out as a painting of a girl. Yeah, but <laughs> but then it, it starts getting more and more masculine, and it, it starts looking like I think it starts looking like Demian. Actually, it starts looking like Demian, and then he starts says it starts looking. Like, Sinclair says he start, it starts looking like him, and then later he's like, no, it's actually Mother Eve. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, I, I gotta go reference fanfic again. And do you remember when we were talking about Jackamart? Yes. Do you remember when Togo was drawing, like when Togo was painting Utsuna, but Utsuna as a guy? Oh no, yeah. that's the fucking Kinda, reference. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that sounds a lot like this fucking painting. <laughs> and it's just—it's a really the funny picture of Gloriana Gray. 
because DB in the book is just throwing around like random philosophy for no no reason whatsoever, kind of, and that's exactly what uh, Alan Harnam was doing at that point, because Toga <laughs> painting Utsuna had had no fucking consequence in the entire narrative. Uh, okay, so then he has this painting, and then he, oh, and then he paints a bird and sends it to Damien, but he doesn't have his address, but he just like sends it off. He's like, I knew it would reach him. So Sinclair is developing his Jedi mind powers as well. (laughs) 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 And then he like randomly is going around the city and he happens across this guy playing the organ who is like a priest's son and he's like, I wanted to be a priest of Abraxas, which is a god of, which is like a unified god of the god and the devil. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, he hangs out with him. Definitely not having sex. <laughs> oh my god. Um, <laughs> no, but like, okay, you just keep reminding me of the time he meets the like, spiritualist who goes on about absence (laughs) and then tries to kill himself (laughs) that's a thing that happens in this book this is book wild it is really by the way like if you're listening to this and you're wondering should I read this it is definitely worth reading Dammy. it's not that long it is fucking wild so anyway he's tripping balls with the organ player in like this tiny apartment (laughs) yeah (laughs) like staring at the flames and then one night uh, like do they just not be friends anymore um Sinclair says something that like he they both decide is sort of the end of that relationship yeah Yeah. Sinclair has that thing where like he realizes that the church organist knows about the gods of the past but fundamentally, he refuses to go beyond a certain point, and Sinclair wants to, like, find out, you know, something that's true for him and not true for what it used to be, and they just, yep. that's, they're so different, they cannot functionally communicate anymore. He calls him an antiquarian. Yeah. That's um, probably when Emil starts talking. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's when they break up, so. We'll see. Um, Wait. Real quick, is it, did Herman, I can't remember if it was Herman has to do this in real life, or it's in Damien, but where they, like, he insults someone's bust of Goethe to be, just, just to be an asshole, and decides that because they got into a fight about it, that they could never be friends anymore? <laughs> I have no idea. I think that might have been his real life. Okay, continue. I couldn't remember because they're basically the same person. Okay, so now we get to the spiritualist who goes on about abstinence and tries to kill himself. Oh, God. Okay. And that's that's pretty much that chapter. Basically, like, Sinclair is so weird that the weirdos seek him out and they're like, you have magic powers, right? And he, like, kind of tries to guide this person mm-hmm. with his magic powers. And kind of gets nowhere, because the guy is just really hung up on this not-jacking-it thing. <laughs> no and fap. then his school career. No fap. <laughs> no fap. 
<laughs> yep. <laughs> the nofap wannabe magician. Oh boy. That certainly is a descriptor. <laughs> and then we get the chapter titled Mother Eve. Oh god. <laughs> I'm sure this is fine. Stress levels have hit 60%. Continue. <laughs> so... He goes, where does he even go? Anyway, he goes home, and then he goes and lives in some city. I'm sure it matters which, but I don't care. Actually, no, it doesn't, because, like, they do that thing with the place names where they're like, it's H dash dash dash, or, like, whatever. So it's like, I went to some city. You know the one, but nobody (laughs) does. And he finally runs into Mother Eve and Damien again. And this is the point where something very weird happens, where Mother Eve, who is Damien's mother, supplants Damien as sort of the main guide for Sinclair. Damn. So, like, Damien and Sinclair kind of don't talk anymore. And, like... Well, not not directly. No, and Sinclair's always talking to Mother Eve. And it's like, and Damien was also there. Totally not awkward. They communicate, they communicate like directly like two more times, but it's yeah. kind of like you know that sort of the, the joke about the you know the whole the, the Bechdel test and like you know you have to be talking about something that's not a dude. It's like that in reverse. They can only ever talk about this one woman who we will get to. It is and bizarre. Yep, yep. So that happens, and he, and he never actually fucks Mother Eve. Well, no, no, he doesn't have to. That would defeat the purpose of her as a... Well, the thing is, like, he's acting like he super wants to, but it's like, no, you have to learn to attract me. He's horny for spiritual enlightenment. And then he never does. The book never, like, gives the impression that, like, anything would be ruined or given up through sex. But the sex just kind of never happens. He's, yeah, because he becomes an ubermensch and transcends his petty need for those things as sexual relations. And He's then the now. real world comes back and World War I happens. As it does. <laughs> and there's this very odd moment where, I mean, the entire chapter is odd, but like, I, for me, like the moment where like Sinclair gets hit by a mortar shell is kind of stands out because it's a moment where like the narrative kind of breaks because he's like looking up at this image and it's like oh yes this deep and meaningful image and something something woman on the battlefield (laughs) and then he's like and i was like overcome by my feeling for it oh wait no i got fucking shot (laughs) (laughs) oh my god oh tell tell us what happens next (laughs) This is the good one. <laughs> and and then you get the weird kiss thing. Yeah. So like apparently like so Demi just fucking weird. So Demi just appears out of nowhere and is like, <laughs> you, I am I am an envoy of my mom. You're not kissing me. You're kissing my mom. And then they make out, and then Damien vanishes, and the story ends. That kind of that's like the scene in uh, Venom uh, where. Tom Hardy and uh, the lady make out, but she has like the venom on her, so it's like Venom and Tom Hardy are making out. <laughs> yeah, kind of. 
Except it, it's trying to do that, but like, make it not gay, but also it's two guys. No homo. <laughs> no homo, but we're gonna make out. Two dudes dying on the battlefield, kissing, even though they're not gay. <laughs> I mean, the only thing more gay than, than, than a fine British officer and his very close friend in World War One would probably be, like, something in Greece. Fellas, is it gay to want to fuck your best friend's mom? <laughs> I mean, of the, of the last two or three movies I've seen about World War One, um, a good half of them were super gay. Excellent. It was a Tolkien movie. So there we have it. The plot synopsis. <laughs> And, and, like, the bizarre thing is, like, just so much attention paid to the relationships Emil has with other men. Isn't that, like, the thing of every classical literature? Like, everything is just weirdly homoromantic. And I, I wonder if that's just, uh, like, that's, is that just considered normal back then, or? No. Oh, God, no. Like, okay, like, if you'd written this in the 19th century at certain points, maybe. That would have been more of a thing. But, like, no. <laughs> no. Oh, this yeah. is it's, this is this is like s- super gay. I mean, there okay. There are like two ways of reading this. If you read it as sort of a Gnostic kind of parable, then Damien is the initiating, guiding Damon, who like gets him on the track to towards this enlightenment. This kind of not quite Zen, but as close as you get to it in in Europe, kind of like a gnosis moment and of knowing, which is represented by his mother, and then he is no longer needed at that point. Mm-hmm. And so he just, like, disappears, and it's like, he's always with me, my guide and friend. Because he has accomplished all that he existed to do, of course, with the realiza- the true realization at the moment being that there is no daemon. The daemon was, in fact, himself. That 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 the the seeker, the Emil, Emil but also the seeker in general, has come to the gnosis, the secret truth of how the world is, not through being handheld, but through his own searching. The other way to read this is that it's super gay. And I like that one. <laughs> you know what you just remind me of? You just remind me of, like, I, I was just, like, researching, like, pe- researching Demian, homosexuality, enter. And reading through the comments, and like a, a, quite literally, like over half of the comments were like, "No, it's not gay. It's a deeper journey into the, into the self." Shut up. <laughs> yeah, because a deep journey into the self can't be gay. I don't even. Just it. <laughs> it, it you know what? This, it reminds me of that one guy who was like, "Pink." You don't know the the meaning of pink and Utsuna. The pink meaning of pink is gnostic. Oh, <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that because we are absolutely doing a an episode at some point about uh, bad Utena takes, and uh, boy, is that one going to be on there. <laughs> nice. So, like, what does this have to do with Utena, guys, besides being gay? I mean, it basically reads like Utena. Yep. There are definitely some points in this where I was like, so, so we all know, like, the actual pitch mooning for Utena was Ikuhara walked into the meeting and, like, threw this down on the middle of the table and was like, let's make this anime as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, it... there You can really see sort of the parallel of the sort of liberation of self. Yes. 
in Utena, it's sort of Anthe is the one who goes through that journey, and Utena is the sort of messenger. Um, and here, Emil goes through that story, and Damien is the messenger. <laughs> but Utena is a real character, and Damien may not be. But, like, I wonder if, if like, you could also say that Utena and, and Anthe serve as each other's daemon. They are each other's in that role. That. And when th- when Utena leaves, like, it's easy to see it from Anthe's perspective where Utena is vanished, but, like, they both kind of vanished from each other. We know mm-hmm. that she is out there. Unlike in Damon, where the Damon was always was always you, Utena is her own person, and they are, in fact, yeah, that's, that's both lost each other. Yeah, at. yeah, okay. That was, that's what I was going to think that you were going to get. There's also a big difference in that Utena has Akio. It has a prox, like a sort of nexus of the proximal cause of the sort of oppression and blindness that the characters are subjected to. Whereas Damien is just straight up, we live in a society. Like <laughs> there is, like you get Cromer, and he gets like taken out of the picture in like the the same chapter he shows up in, basically at the very beginning. Cromer is Sionji. Is the first list. Yeah, he's he's the Sionji. And so there isn't a person that's sort of the final boss the same way Akio is. Mm-hmm. It's I know I'm I keep talking about this, this Gnostic thing, but Akio is kind of this demiurge character. Right, right. Like you get this in a lot of Gnostic traditions where you have this idea that like, especially in ones that were influenced by Christianity, that the sort of like there, False revelation. Yeah, there's there's two worlds, quote unquote. There's the good world, the sort of spe- a world of spirit, the world represented by Damon Damien's mom. My stress meter's at ninety now. Thinking about her, um, she is the, the world of spirit, the ideal. The part of the reason, like, why is he like, why is he so horny about her, but doesn't actually do anything about it? Because part of the point is that I think potential here is that she is the ideal to be. More than what Horty that he is at that point sullies the the spirit with the dirty, unclean, incomplete physical. The Demiurge is a kind of fake god. It's sort of the first one who comes along and tries to make cool shit and fucks it up, or the second one who comes and tries to make his own cool shit and fucks it up. And his world is sort of the physical one, the fake one. It's incomplete. It's it's sucks basically. And the only way to be free of that is to figure out that it's not the real world. It's the Matrix. And in a lot of ways, I feel like Akio is the demiurge of Uthana. He created this world, Otori, but it's fake. It's a, it is a veneer over the truth of his own failures and of the relationship he has with his sister and of the relationship he has with other people. And it is a he is a fake world, and only by realizing that it is in fact a bubble, that there is something beyond it, can you leave? I kind of get that here. You don't encounter the demiurge in Damien. The demiurge is creation is the world that he lives in at the beginning, the one where he's happy, but also he's kind of almost mindless in his happiness. He's just sort of a little creature who is good because that's just what you do. And only through Conor, but also through Damien, does he begin to 
at any point think that he could do anything else. Although he's always, like, he's never really unaware of the difference between his world and the other world. And he's always drawn to the other world. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like, that's part of his character. Yeah, it's it's sort of the, the divine spark that realizes that something's not right. That there is something beyond the 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 sort of like world that he exists in that, and could almost be happy in it, but it's not quite enough. And the the whole, the whole when you mentioned Matrix, that, that kind of like made a spark of my own in my head because there's so there's something very distinctly queer about like narratives like the Matrix, narratives about Utsuna, and this one here about like a false system versus an inner truth yes and liberating yourself Although, the, whole thing. the weird thing is when oh gosh which chapter is it is it beatrice i don't want it to be beatrice i think it might not be but at the beginning of one chapter he's he's talking about how how all sexuality is forbidden and like no it, it would be the thief on the cross where he's going through puberty and he's like and then i found out that like yep as to every man, the slowly awakening sense of sex came to me as an enemy and a destroyer, as something forbidden, as yes. seduction and sin. So it's sort of like you can say it's queer, but in this sense, it's you. It's like the queerness of all sexuality in a world that forbids sexuality. It's it's queerness is not complicated. Like it also occurs to me that a lot of old, really old texts that are kind of queer in nature and in their like, kind of subtext that they possess often say shit like this. <laughs> it's like, it, there's not, like, a correct sexuality. All sexuality is wrong. I'm tempted to read it as almost a kind of, like, doom scenario of, well, if what I feel is wrong, and it seems so right, then obviously the other things that seem like they could be right are also wrong. Everything is bad. The whole kid and caboodle just yeeted out the window. It's all sinful and bad. I don't like labels, guys. <laughs> God damn it. And it, again, it's that super weird thing where it's like, it's very uber munchy and like, we yes. are the chosen ones. But at the same time, he keeps going back to like, oh, this is a universal experience. Like, as to every man. And it's just like, what? <laughs> These two are n- they don't sit beside each other easily. It's bizarre. Do we um want to retread back to the weird incest shit as well? Oh boy! <laughs> the incest. It's very on theme for Utsuna, so. In Damien, it's all mother-son. Uh, all. All of it. Which is objectively better. <laughs> if we're gonna have to, like, have this, we should at least hierarchize this shit. <laughs> it's not portrayed as negative mm-hmm. in the book. Mm-hmm. It's word for word, mother and son living as living as like husband and wife. I think. Yeah, yeah. There's rumors mm. that well, okay, that's the rumors about Damien, and it's sort of like after we've been given the whole Cain and Abel thing, so we're kind of primed to look at rumors in a certain way, and then later on, you know, that whole like painting the picture of Beatrice that starts out as some girl and ends up being, like, Mother Eve. Like, there's a lot of stages in there where he's like, it looks like my mom, and I'm kind of horrified by this, but too turned on to bother. 
Mm, that's a lot. <laughs> oh, yes, it's a lot. <laughs> like, it is, it is Oedipus all the way down. <laughs> and, like, at the point of his introduction, Damien, you could, like, look at him as someone who has just gone through with, like, executing upon the stereotypically Oedipal fantasy. His father is dead, and he and his mother in, are in mourning, and they live together alone. <laughs> it is interesting. Very oh, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> it's interesting in italics. <laughs> so you have that very, like, literal interpretation of the Oedipal fantasy, but you also get a more symbolic interpretation of it in that moment where, like, after he's just, like, told the lie and he's about to, like, steal shit, like, at the very beginning, um, and he looks at his father and is, like, with scorn because his father doesn't know and understand what he's about to go do and that he's lying and stuff. You don't understand me, Normie. (laughs) (laughs) I lied about stealing some apples. And now, because of this, I understand the nature of evil. I can never go back to the world of light, Father. It is too late for me. Your world, the world of light. My God. I am forsaken. Exactly that. That melodramatic. Oh, God. Love the drama. Sinclair sounds like Onesian. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god, it's true. Kaboosha! <laughs> That's really, really curious. I lost all my <laughs> you, you guys know Onision's latest book, right? The whole thing. Yes, yes, I it's Tamaraka. Which is his latest one. I lost track of the last thing I heard. There were three. <laughs> okay, so um, his latest book is basically I'm secretly God's sibling because God had a mom, but the God killed. killed oh, okay, killed yes, yes, yes. Oh boy, God killed killed that... my killed killed my mom, and okay. now God is the demiurge or something. It gets better because he's like, my first book was about me, like about my light side. The next, my second one was about my, my dark, dark side. side. <laughs> one is about a union of both. Jesus. <laughs> Uh, Onision has definitely read Damien. Onision is like kind of what Emil Sinclair would be if he weren't so caught up in his own like weird esotericism. If and for Sinclair that I'm was grateful. not narrating his own story, he would be Onision. <laughs> I, I mean, I do want to say that, like, for all of his wildness, I think one of the things that redeems Damien for me is that. Underneath this silliness, there is a kind of esoteric soul-searching of what does it mean to be a person? And do any of the things I can come with on my own work? And honestly, we see several of them just don't work at all. And mm-hmm. it's like, of course they don't. because it's you know the Hegelian influence of, yeah. like, I tried one thing, it didn't work. I tried the opposite thing, it didn't work. I tried light, I tried dark, I, I tried living sort of here, I tried doing this. back and forth and trying to find a center. Yeah, in the, in the end you get, in that moment when Damien kisses him. In the end you get fucking shot in World War One. Yeah, like that synthesis. <laughs> he has finally reached a point where he is no longer struggling. He has arrived. Where he has arrived is something he knows and we don't necessarily entirely. Yeah, it, it's it's the point where he stops saying, like, just 
talking incessantly. And then you get to the end and he's like, I realized this thing. And the story ends. And he, it's the one time he doesn't run his mouth off. <laughs> Which kind of makes sense because, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, if you figured out the meaning of your life, the tr- quote unquote truth that is true for you, I mean, it's kind of yours. There's also a sense of this that is like, it strikes me as like, Sinclair is kind of the original millennial. <laughs> kind of. And, and Hess is writing about kids these days. Where, like, he goes through life and he's very... Like, Sinclair goes through life and he's very aimless. Like, I can imagine this older person being like, I'm trying to connect with the spirit of the youth. How do you do that? I'm inhabiting it. (laughs) You know how kids, like, go and get drunk all the time? That's a thing kids do, right? Normal teen things. Yep. <laughs> First, it starts. With, it starts with day drinking and ends with poggers. <laughs> with all that said, I I do feel Demon has like a, a strong element of like a strong sin- sincereness to it. Like it, it is, yeah. it, it is like a genuine attempt to like connect to the like anti-establishment sentiment of of children. And I remember that, you. Saying, I actually yes. remember you saying very keenly, uh, Kita, way back when, that you actually really appreciate how the ending wasn't like. You, wasn't like a like a reintegrating to the system. It was more like system is bad, and that's what you really liked about Akita. I, I I'm not sure I said that directly. <laughs> I think you, I'm fairly sure you said that. And you said you said the same of like Utsuna, like this, the end. So like you know how like a law of narrative. It, it definitely isn't a reintegr. Well, it's hard to say whether it's a reintegration or not because mm-hmm. my word, the the role that the war plays in the last chapter is really weird because suddenly Damien's suddenly Sinclair is looking around at all these soldiers and he's like they'd found a higher purpose basically that like the war was the world becoming itself and like not seeing it as a thing like this it jives really well with Hess like being like I'm just gonna ignore the Nazis they don't exist um, during World War II, because it's like not looking at the political elements of the war or looking at it as a thing that there are people in power sending the youth off to die. It is anti-materialist in every meaning of that word. Mm-hmm. But it really buys into the myth of the glory of war in a kind of uncomfortable way. Yeah. The, there's a bit there that seems like, you know, the whole, the world is learning to understand itself, and even through struggle. Yeah. But that kind of get you're right, that does get a little lost in the fact that it it's World War One, dude. Yep, and it's also, like, very interesting that this is published, like, and it's, like, talking about, it goes into the very beginning of the World War time, one, and then it's published right before World War Two. Bad timing. Yeah. yeah. So that whole, like, how do we actually look at that message of the war as, like, it really changes the context of the idea of the war of the be, as the manifestation of the world becoming itself. Have you ever read a poem called um, The Second Coming by, by Yates? W.B. Yates? No. Um, you know part of it, the, uh, the sinner cannot hold? I, I've heard that line. So, like, Second Coming is this really weird poem, because Yeats had, was really bought into this idea that time goes in cycles. And 
he writes this thing in 1919, the same year that Damien is published. And it's hard to, like, it, looking back at this poem about this idea that, like, cycles of history and, you know, this is all just, the you know, we're, we're, we are in this moment of, it's like a mystical understanding of the reality of war and suffering. That mm-hmm. looking at it in 2020, I can understand this. Looking at this in 1919, if you were not really tuned in to where he was tuned in, I can only imagine how fucking angry this would make you feel. Like, thinking about that, looking at World War One as the world coming into knowledge of itself, from 2020 perspective, I'm like, I mean, kinda. Like, you know, 1918, like, shapes the whole world for a century. But from, in 1919, imagine how you have to be somewhere between furious and desperate to make this make sense. But it's also like, and then World War Two happened. Yeah, and it's like, what the fuck do you do with that? Mm-hmm. I, like, that last scene, really, I wish I had, like, gone back and, like, picked out passages, but it really reminded me of A Chorus of Stones by Susan Griffin, which is this story about, it's sort of a mystical understanding of war, but it's a much more materially grounded one, and just, like, how, and particularly that image of, like, the, like, vision he sees of Mother Eve on the battlefield, like, is really similar to an image that Griffin uses talking about, like, the sort of metaphorical woman or feminine presence in war. But they the perspectives are just so different because like for Griffin, war is a tragedy. Yeah. And yeah. And here it's not, and that's really jarring. It's a it's a sort of like the idea that it could in fact be a formative moment in an individual's life. Just yeah, we're, I mean, I don't think anybody on this side of history is going to be able to read that, and really, but well, most people are not going to be able to read that and sort of just be okay with that because mm-hmm. that was easier to do in nineteen nineteen as a defense mechanism against the most worst thing that had ever happened, and a lot yeah. harder to do after it happened tw- two more times. <laughs> yeah. If that's the end of that conversation, do we want to move on to something else? Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. So, I'm actually um I'm actually thinking of talking about because back 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 when let's see uh oh crap 14 years ago, the Empty Movement Forum actually did a, a read by of the book. So we've got Yasha starting the thread. We've got a few other members I don't recognize, and we've got Vana making a comments. Do we want to talk about that for a bit? Sure. Yeah. Nice. So um I've actually talked about I talked to uh Yasha and Vana about this. The, the the general opinion I think is sort of like yeah, this is basically stuff we fought about w- way back when. This is like old territory. Mhm. You know what I mean? Like light and dark, you know, moral black and white, thinking outside yeah. the box. That's that's old territory. But also it's like for that time, like like I think you you like you were talking about for for that time, it, it was probably like revolutionary. Like, ah. <laughs> I also think there's a part of it that's like, it's telling you a story that, that like, you already know. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Like, this isn't supposed to be like a story that 
the reader has never experienced. It's It really is like, oh, this is what the kids these days are doing. It's sort of a crystallization of thoughts that are already in existence. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very much a, a story about stories, I think. Yeah. The narratives that we use to understand ourselves. Uh, let me see if I can get a good quote from Yasha. Um, she says, uh, the parallels with SKU? Well, I find myself drawn to the division more in terms of Akio or Anthe seeing the world as divide between the past and the future, the time of Deus and the time of Akio. It certainly reflects a certain prejudice that I think Akio would have. The light period is orderly, boring, safe, and contemptible. The dark period is exciting, seductive, confusing, tricky, and it can bite if you're not careful. Anthe has this division as well, although it's reckoned in terms of one pain versus another. The pain of being partially in and out, and partially in and partially out of the world of light, and the only girl who couldn't be the pretty princess. But also the only girl whose brother was Dios, and the pain of living in the dark. The light of Dios is the light of Dios gone, and the pains of the sword hate. I mean, I can definitely see the idea of Dios as a like being connected to the world of light, and mm-hmm. that like they're both very much ideas and idealized. Mm-hmm. And this is just a very strong and like theme of dualism. Akio constructing himself in opposition to that. Mm-hmm. And I think what Vana says... Okay, so she says, As we can see, Giovanna goes with the psychology. I smell a few hints of SKU, but I want to go a little further into the book that I bring them up. Well, I have more to say. I must say, though, a few moments may be connected to Demian and Akio. <laughs> in, in a few ways, but especially in Emil's view of Demian as all-knowing, contrasted to Akio's presenting himself as all-knowing. Demian is a mental, which is how Akio introduces himself to... Utna, and I, I see here a fleshing out of the mental relationship with the ignorant pupil, and where it may be good for a meal, SKU is going to warn against such a faithful following of even the most enlightened-looking person. We'll see how Emil's view of Demian stands over time, but I'm getting the impression that this book is going to show in a good light a mental relationship, mental relationship with SKU creates a dark shadow of. Right, because um, this book is very incest, good. Uh, <laughs> obsessing about this one guy and, and never reciprocating, never, never really confronting my emotions about him, good. Whereas uh, I, I feel like Utenus is more exploring the dark underside of that and like the actual consequences instead of in like a, in like a weird fairy world. Like, I wouldn't off. say anything about this is just like good. <laughs> like, Damien isn't about what's good. Mm-hmm. Maybe more about how like it has a very ambivalent kind of stance, do you think? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's very ambivalent. Very. Damien is between the either or of the of aesthetic and ethical lives. Damien is careening into the aesthetic like high ketamine. <laughs> Just didn't even know there was a choice. Like morals, wait, wrong. World exists. Like fuck <laughs> that. I have I have I have a radical personality inside of a meat suit. I like fuck it. The world is spirit, my dude. I'm gonna look at flames and see images in the clouds. <laughs> oh my god, I just realized what it is. And this is, I'm so mad that no one's gonna hit this. It's, it reminds me of the, the beginning, the first paragraph of Sickness of the Death, where Kierkegaard is like, starts his book with, The human being is spirit. But what is spirit? Spirit is the self. But what is the self? And he's making fun of Hegel, but it ends up sounding like something from a fucking Kojima game. <laughs> like an entire page of absolute fucking nonsense with the whole point of just like he's fucking trolling you 
for a whole page, and that's literally what Damien is, but for, like, in earnest. I, but again, I'm not, like... It's kind it's of loose it is, too. From Sinclair's perspective. Mm-hmm. But Sinclair is not Hess. And so that's... That's what I was going to ask you, Mike. Do you think that... How do you... Do you where do they meet? Do you think that Hess is trying to make Sinclair him? Or do you think that they are fundamentally... Emil himself is just a character. Uh, I'm not sure if it's even important, I, I but it's I, fascinating. If I'm, if I'm taking this, like, it's a parable, and Emil Sinclair does not exist, like, it's neither. Mm-hmm. Emil Sinclair does not exist. He's a construct, but he's not even a character. He's just a tool. Is he, for... he's, is he an excuse for Hess to just, he's like... a tool for telling this story. Okay. But the story is itself complicated by that. Because, like, like Sinclair is totally unaware that the world exists. But I'm not convinced Hess is. Yeah. Because it is, like, that moment, like, it ends with him, like, getting fucking shot. And it's like, was that the meaning of your vision? No. Like, the meaning of the vision is very disconnected from the thing that's actually happening. And the thing that's actually happening sort of rips through it and happens. (laughs) Do you think that, like, the reality hitting him with the bullet and his vision, his sort of revelation, do they have to be, are they mutually exclusive of each other? I mean, that's the question. Yeah, because, like, it seems like y'all, you're kind of seeing it more of that than these being the opposite, where I'm kind of, like, more of a, almost a kind of, um, Flannery O'Connor, like, epiphany on the verge of death, kind of like, he, she would have been a good person every day if somebody put a gun in her face, kind of like, this revelation, which is deeply personal, and for him, is not mutually exclusive with the bullet so much as it is, well, these things it's not even don't... Just a bullet, it's a mortar. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, I'm sorry, the, the mortar, because he gets blown to bits. <laughs> these things almost don't intersect. In the sense that the mortar is not, it is outside of him, but there is a part of him which it can never touch. Even as it kills the thing that keeps that part, that powers that part, it kills the body, but it cannot, in a direct way, touch the spirit, which for Hess is a thing which very much exists. It, it sort of, but he like he goes on about how. Like, there's the spirit, and the spirit is very important, and it's what makes us human, yeah. but it ends when we die. Yeah, and like, on one hand, it, it, it like, us dying ends the spirit, but in a sense that, like, it doesn't, the body can be riddled with holes, the spirit can, the spirit is not something that you can ultimately kill directly. You have to get at, at other things. You can make it You cut it off of the source. Yeah, you can cut it off at the source, but it's like, you can't actually kill the thing itself. You can't stab someone's spirit. Mm-hmm. Like, it's sort of like, we all know that the whole idea of, like, you you can't kill an idea with bullets. Well, I mean, you could kill everyone who has the idea, but you didn't actually touch the idea. There is a kind of sense, a vague and nebulous and hard-to-parse sense in which the thing itself, the platonic ideal of that thing, is untouched. Yeah. Just not in a way that helps you not be dead. 
that really <laughs> reminds me of like certain people, certain people I know who are like, um, I'm not afraid of dying, but I am afraid of losing who I am and losing my belief system, losing my faith. You know what I mean? Just on just on a personal level. Yeah. Hmm. W- wasn't it implied actually by um that at the end of the book that just like Utena, uh, Emil like went to the spiritual world. So Uzuna went to the real world, and the mill went to like. It's it's order. really ambiguous. Yeah. It's like he's just like in this tent, and he's like, and then Damien wasn't there, and somebody bandaged me up, and the end. We don't figure out what happened to Sinclair. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess in a sense. He could have died. He could have survived. I mean, it's kind of like I mean, from the perspective of Damien, the book. It kind of doesn't matter because the point was not his character. The point was the part of him that was journeying towards this moment. Although the thing is, like, I think it's there's there's this sense that like somebody has to exist from one of these special people to rebuild the world after. So like. It's going away from the world, but it's not going away from the world permanently because you come back and you affect the world. I, I never yeah. got that impression that, it, like, I got the impression that Demon wasn't really interested in, like, ma- making a system. He was interested in rebelling against a system, but it wasn't really interested in, like, making a he, new system. They, they straight up say, like, no, we're going to be the ones who shape the new world. But it does have a, I, I, I think you're right in the sense that, like, Damien and also Herman Hess in real life doesn't have a positive idea of what else is there. How the fuck you go about that? There's not concrete ideas. There's no, it's it's not a realization like that the world is in praxis. Yes, yeah, so no. there's a there's a realization that the world is fundamentally broken, but there's it just ends there. Like there's no like and then what? Well, this does kind of the book does kind of give an and then what? It's like the world will end in fire. And then everyone will turn to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what are we going to do? For some reason. <laughs> Except that, like, you know, maybe some vague, nebulous idea of us yeah. doing a thing. Yeah, it, it never says what we'll do when the world turns to us, or you know, why the world would turn to us. But, I, I like, wish that he would give me an idea of what... I mean, yes, I understand some terrible things slouching towards Bethlehem to be born is at the end of that poem, but, like... What's it gonna do when it gets there? Like, is it is it gonna have a birthday party? I don't fucking know, dude. I can just imagine like Damien, McMax, Emil, and Fra Eva, like as, as. Have you ever watched like post-apocalyptic preppers? <laughs> oh my god! Wow. Have you ever, have you ever watched the D show? Except that's like that's also kind of the opposite because they're like. Some of us may die. We don't care. We're just gonna, like, do the thing and, like, walk into our fates, even if it kills us. Because that's how you maintain your specialness, I guess. It, it also reminds me of the whole Helter Skelter thing as well. Like, I'm gonna let all the black people mm-hmm. kill the white people, and then I'll come back and, and then be like, Hey, I'm, I'm the ruler now. Yeah. Do, do you know how Helter Skelter goes, goes about? The, the whole Manson... Mm-hmm. Oh, um, Helter Skelter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh, um, that's. I'm not sure I would go that far, but I mean, I can kind of see where you're going. There's that thread of, like, the world. You also see it in Om Shunrikyo. Uh, the world will end, and then our time will come. And we will be the ones to rebuild it. 
I can't help but like think to myself that I've seen things like this before. It's just every other time I've seen them, the person writing this book or this poem is actively this is a setup for tragedy and Damien just Oh, oh you know where else it happen. happens? Fucking Homestuck. Oh my god. I mean, yeah, that is true. Like, if I were in 1919 and I had seen the vision of what was to end and Homestuck was there, I probably would have also thought, you know, when, when they burned their whole civilization down, getting really, really obsessed with um, the world's longest webcomic and also buckets for some reason, <laughs> and they burned down civilization, we will be there to sort of pick up the pieces and remind them that not oh, everything is... One hundred percent about being the th- the ones that survive the end yeah. of the world. Like that's just the plot of Homestuck. So I don't know how familiar you are with Tolkien, but like this sort of idea of like the special ones who are going to make it and the ones who have understood some kind of deep deeper spiritual truth. Mm-hmm. Oh, like when I say I when I've seen this before, it's literally Tolkien and his three friends. But the punchline is that Damien doesn't show when. Two of those four die like miserable, meaningless deaths. Like that's sort of the thing that leaves me weird at the end of Damien. That like, no, a lot of people thought that. We know that because we have letters, and most of them mm-hmm. died like really yeah. pathetically. Like, and none of them, except like there were a couple of them that did actually go on to change to help shape a future of what what the what the mind what our culture looked like afterwards. And then we got Nazis. Yeah, but it didn't even last. Nope. Like, and then we got Nazis, and then it ex- imploded. The poets of World War One, like, were in the limelight and changed and shaped things for about a decade, and then no one gave a crap about them anymore. Mm-hmm. They were just gone. I mean, I think of all of the World War One authors, the only one that strikes me as having had a shelf life longer than 1936 is Tolkien. The guy who never talked about it. Like, it's really bleak to think about Damien in those terms. It's like, yeah, I, I believe that too if I had grown up, like, really, really deep inside this rich, like, eternal life that I had that was just something that was just for me. And, and then I go to World War One. I, I would totally believe that, yeah, like, after this all burns down, people like me who have sort of finally gotten to this point of enlightenment will be able to rebuild stuff. That's the kind of stupid shit you would definitely think about. Mm-hmm. I mean, nothing else makes sense. Hess is writing about the youth today. <laughs> Ooh. Did we enjoy the book, guys? <laughs> Damien's mom makes me so mad, but I still love, I still love that book. Damien's mom has got it going on. <laughs> Damien's mom has the, the fucking gnosis going on. <laughs> That secret knowledge, too. <laughs> Kita, did you enjoy the book? I think. Like, okay, I can't even give you an honest reaction because the first time I heard this was all, like, read slash heard it. One, it was on an audiobook, and two, it was a long time ago. So, I mean, for me, it was sort of an introduction to hey, literature can be fucking weird and amazing. Mm-hmm. And, like, I loved that about it, that it was so interior. Right, right. And I think even even barring the, the weirdness, it's it, at the very least when I when I when I when I look at media that I don't 
actually enjoy. I can at least enjoy talking about it. And I feel like Demon is more of that of that camp. Like, for me, it was, like, I was coming from, like, all the capital L literature I'd read had been, like, English literature. Mm-hmm. But it's all, like, Wuthering Heights and stuff, and it's all very external. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it tells the story of people as characters and, like, as actors moving around on the stage, sort of. Mm-hmm. And then to come to this, that it's talking about somebody's internal life, um, was just, like, it's so much richer and again weirder than what i was used to thinking of as literature and it was just like really exciting mm, i actually really see that yeah panda did you enjoy the book i enjoyed you guys <laughs> talking about it because now i at least kind of know what damien is i think you've got most of the experience i feel like this is a really 60s book like yeah. <laughs> like this fits right in with like the Beatles yellow submarine and dropping acid for what it counts I, I think this is basically how I feel about like a, a Demi book is basically how I feel about a Haruki Murakami book like I'm angry I'm angry and annoyed and pissed off when, when I when I first read it but I, I've, I come to appreciate it with time. I, I kept trying to ship Damien and Sinclair on my first read-through, and now I'm like, I don't even give a shit. <laughs> That's exactly my thought, actually. Yep. But I was, I was so disappointed that they didn't, they didn't really <laughs> consummate the relationship. They, like, somehow not gay making out. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> no homo. <laughs> Uh, do you guys actually want to watch this K-pop music video? That's do you guys know the B- the, the K-pop group called BTS? Sen. I literally I literally cannot watch K-pop. I have a constitutional loathing of it so strong <laughs> that I will just start like throwing up into the microphone. Sen, why did you? I have fortunate sword playing in the background. I can hear the helicopters. Well, I just thought it was interesting how there's like a K-pop music video about Demian. It's called. Demian. Oh God! Really? Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. Why? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't watched it. Why? I was waiting to watch it with you guys. Okay, I, I I do have to like at least look at a, a little bit of this. I I will say that's maybe not like the best thing for a non-visual medium. <laughs> but if you want to link it, <laughs> I've linked it in the Discord chat. Why? Like it, it kind of tells me that Demon is, is sort of like a, a, a like a cultish into influential work. You know, I I've seen Demon in, in Tokyo Ghoul. It's in Utena. Mm-hmm. Now it's in the K-pop music video. So, I mean, Herman Hesse's general is that way. Like a lot of Japan, a lot of like Japanese media is obsessed with the existentialists, and the existentialists really dug Herman Hesse, and so they also like him. Mm. So so we get back to the incest. <laughs> but this time intellectual incest. Do you mean it really feels like that like like that one one philosophy book literature guy who's like, "Oh, you 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 read Ayn Rand, you read Marx? Ugh, that's so generic. I read Demian, you know?" <laughs> let, me, just... let me tell you about Steppenwolf. Pulls out copious oh, notes. God. <laughs> so a story that the Randians told bit, you. It's a little bit mainstream for that. Oh, is it? Honestly, it's yeah. It's it's liking liking Hess is kind of a thing where like 
it's very valid, but also you're, it's also kind of weird. Mm-hmm. The coexistence of valid, valid weirdness. Oh, just choreography just bo- just bops. Look, look at him. <laughs> I'm sorry. <gasps> oh, he has he has wings, guys. That me that means he sees the bird. You know, Sam, I don't know why you didn't open this episode with the knowledge that there's a fucking BTS video about what. And if I if he opened with that knowledge, I would have left. I would have I would have I would have gone outside and gone for a swim in the middle of the night. It's it. I only just remembered. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, is, is that all that's been said about Demi? Or do you do you guys have anything else? Like I am my dumb. We can talk about Steppenwolf, but otherwise I'm mind out. <laughs> I, I haven't read Steppenwolf. I don't have four pages of notes. Yeah, don't. <laughs> Just don't. <laughs> it's not worth it. What about you, Panda? Um, what about me? I don't. I mean, last- I didn't read it, so I don't really have anything to say about it. I uh. Any lasting thoughts besides what the fuck? Yeah, like, not really. The only thing I knew about this up until this point is in episode one, Alice was like, the egg speech is from this book. And I was like, oh, huh, that's neat. And then now three years later, we're actually talking about this book. I can't believe that we never actually talked about the fact that the egg speech is literally word for word from the book. It's not, though. Okay, well, it's not word for word. It's There's yeah. a portion of it that's word for word, but, like, the rest of it, the context is radically different, and also I'm, everything I'm around that bit. I'm 100% sure that the, some of the not being word for word isn't just translation issues? Uh, yeah, actually, I was about to say, there is, there are different versions of that, depending on who, like, we're getting your version of the book. And, like, we're seeing one, like, in Damien, we're seeing one that's translated from German to English, um, and in Utena, it would be translated from German to Japanese to English. So, like, is it word for word? I don't um, fucking know. I mean, I mean, in the book, it's the bird fights its way out of the egg. The egg is the world, or the bird is struggling out of the egg. The egg is the world. Whoever wants to be born must first destroy a world. The bird flies to God. The God's name is Abraxas. Yeah, so, like, it's Almost there. It's interesting that Utena leaves off those last two sentences. Yeah. Like, it ends on, it rephrases the whole destroying a world as like, we are the bird, the world is our egg. Yeah. Which is also a sort of an interesting declaration to like, ground it in the characters. Again, Mm -hmm. Utena, way more grounded in having characters and plot. (laughs) <laughs> to be fair, Utena is like a 39 episode anime. So you... <laughs> well, and also, uh, the importance of characters and plot is something that Ikuhara had to learn himself uh, over the course of his career. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how we got Sarah Zanmai. The really interesting accidental thing about Demon is that it's kind of a class S kind of Oh my god, you're right, but oh my god. Why would you (laughs) say that to me? I was just thinking like how did this relate to Utsuna? Oh god, okay. So if if Utsuna's a commentary in class S, Demon is like accidental commentary and it's just but with gay guys. Well it's not even commentary, it's just accidental class S. Like it's an accidental like 
No, it's because okay. we had to know homo at the end for some reason <laughs> by fucking your mom. No, no, you have to you have to want to fuck your friend's yes, mom, yes. but you have to also transcend the the mortal desires for friend. Although, fucking. like, it never really does like transcend or disavow. No, 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 you still keep it. It's like courtly love, but like. In a mystical sense. But you could totally, like, it's like, you could totally fuck her if you want. You just stay really horny, but you never do anything about it. But, like, at the same time, it's defining itself in opposition to the, like, actually abstinence-focused practices. Exactly. So it's like, you totally could fuck her, but they just don't. That that's that speaks to me as like a really Greek thing, ancient Greek thing. Like, isn't it like true love is very like spiritual, like very unphysical? You know what I mean? Yeah. Am yeah. I not getting my ancient Greek right? Oh, good. Although at the same time, Damien feels like it is like it is very physical. Oh yeah. And just like it's weird that he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Like it's not grounded any in any idea that he shouldn't. He just. Doesn't. doesn't. It's like, oh, he was totally gonna, but then war. Yeah, it's it's a very waffly book. Like, philosophers in general mm-hmm. are just very waffly. And again with the Hegel, Hegel and the dialectic and the back and forth. Hegel. Hegel. All right, so um, I guess that's everybody's final thoughts. Unless anybody yeah. speak now, forever hold your peace. <laughs> Emil Sinclair is dead. <laughs> Emil and Utna come out of the, their fake worlds, respectively, and are like, no, they, they meet and they're like, same hat. <laughs> no, my actual tagline is, who is Emil Sinclair? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for uh, t- telling me about this book. I, uh, now know a thing that two hours ago I did not and that's always a good use of one's time uh listeners if you would like to follow this podcast on the internet you could do that at Utenicast. if you would like to follow me on twitter you do that at impandanata alice where can people find you online they can find me at lyrewolf which is l-y-r-e-w-u-l-f and uh, Sen, where can people find you on the internet should you wish to be found? Find me on the Empty Movement Discord server. Uh, ask Otori.nu, Otori underscore NU on Twitter. I'm also Sentient Garden on Twitter. Let me see if. So I'm Sentient underscore Garden on Twitter. And that's basically my entire online presence. What about you, Kira? Uh, I have a Twitter. That I have not updated in a million years, but someday I might. And I'm trying to... Uh, you don't have to plug it if you don't want to. <laughs> I, I, like, I'm like, I totally mean to. Okay, it is at Kita Isabel. That's K-I-T-A-Y-S-A-B-E-L-L. Alright, we also have a Patreon where you can support the show. And we have a Tumblr that I mostly use to reblog Utsuna fan art. And uh, if you'd like to get in contact with us, you can reach out to us on Twitter. Or you can email us at matchmeandutsuna at gmail.com. And I think that that's all the things. And if it's not, I don't care. Uh, Revolutionize the world, everybody. Love you guys.
Alright, thank you for having me on. See you later! Now we get to dance.